Hello, and welcome to Grain Insight, a CN update on getting your grain to market. I'm Stacey McCracken, and joining me is David Shednovic, Assistant Vice President for Grain. In part three of this three-part podcast on the rail washouts that CN experienced in southern British Columbia in November, we're going to focus more on the grain supply chain. We last left off discussing the ability of customers to divert traffic away from the Vancouver corridor. What about the ability of customers to divert bulk grain shipments into other corridors? Well, at the time of the washouts in southern BC, there was capacity in the Prince Rupert corridor to handle more grain and other commodities. Considering that CN's main line from Edmonton to Prince Rupert remained fully operational throughout the southern BC mainline outages. Take Prince Rupert Grain Terminal, for example. For the first 15 weeks of the crop year, taking you right up to the time that the washouts occurred, the terminal's grain handle was just 723,000 tons. That's close to 950,000 tons less than for the same period last year, or a reduction of over 55%. That reduced handle was, of course, a result of the drought-reduced crop, as well as the commercial decisions of the grain companies using the terminal as to how much it would be used this crop year and when. In the weeks leading up to the Vancouver mainline disruption, demand for shipping grain through Prince Rupert was less than half the rate of the previous year and declining. The high watermark for grain orders for Prince Rupert for the 2021-22 crop year came early. It was the last half of September, at around 1,250 orders, net of customer cancelled orders. Grain shipment weeks 14 and 15, which was the first half of November and right before the Vancouver mainline outage, saw 434 and 305 hopper car orders respectively. There was no change in the pace of hopper car ordering for the first two weeks of the Vancouver outage. In grain shipment week 18, which was the week of November 28th, we saw an uptick in hopper car orders to nearly 850, then 800 for the week of December 5th, then back down to 322 for the week of December 12th, and now 735 new orders for the week of December 19th. As of December 14th, there were just two grain vessels in the lineup for Prince Rupert. Can you provide a bit more color on the ability of the grain supply chain to ship away from Vancouver? Well, it's not realistic either to think that the supply chain can simply pivot, pick up, and shift volumes on the spot. Sales are typically made months in advance of shipment, And in the case of grain shipments off the west coast of Canada, some export sales are made for shipment ex-Vancouver only, and some are made seller's option Vancouver or Prince Rupert. Furthermore, Prince Rupert Grain is owned by three grain companies that also have their own grain terminal assets in Vancouver. Other grain companies ship grain out of Vancouver alone. You should also know Prince Rupert tends to only handle spring wheat, canola, and feed barley. Some of that has to do with the terminal's abilities to physically handle other grains. You'll also have vessels in Vancouver loading multiple commodities as well. It doesn't have to be grain, but it could be a combo vessel of grain and other bulk products. That happens all the time, whether it's a number of different types of grain or canola meal on a vessel, or it could be grain and other bulk commodities for that matter. Those vessels can't just up and go to another port. But it is fair to say that some grain traffic pointed at Vancouver could be redirected. With all that rail traffic halted on either side of the disruption, how does CN plan around the resumption of traffic movement? Well, from the point the mainline disruptions occurred, CN had dozens of trains staged along the main line on either side of the disruption, along with holding traffic back in the country and at port. While all that was going on, container ships and bulk vessels were still sailing to port or waiting in port for product to complete loading, and factories and other industries were producing product for shipment. There was a buildup of demand on top of the traffic waiting to move, and when there are dozens of trains staged on the main line, most of which is single track between Edmonton and the West Coast, all of those trains are occupying sidings. Why is that important? If all the sidings are occupied, there's nowhere for trains to meet and pass one another. Beyond that, 
Remember, this is a 19,000-mile assembly line that's all interconnected on the CN network. At the point of resumption of traffic movement, getting fluidity back is critical. Up front, that means getting enough elbow room to work with immediately on either side of the disruption and working your way back from there to move the traffic that's already sitting there waiting to move ahead. Say at a major yard like Kamloops, you might have a bunch of tracks occupied with trains and little room to move. So you have to get trains out of there to be able to start getting enough elbow room to do what you need to do. You know, there might be a train that really, really wants to move, say north of Kamloops, but if you pick that specific train to run at that point in time, well, that's all that could move on the line, and there'd be no place for trains to get around one another when they meet. As timelines advanced and CN was able to resume the movement of some traffic, how did CN coordinate further back into the country? So there are things you can do back in the interior to get traffic organized and sorted in yards better so that when the traffic does move, it moves as efficiently as possible meaning you use that rail slot through the mountains as efficiently as you can. In the case of grain, for example, we'd look at what we have for combination traffic opportunities, specifically to the North Shore, South Shore, Fraser Surrey Docks, etc. Depending on the traffic want dated port, and where do we have the motive power situated to accomplish that? So that's locomotives. A lot of traffic all the way from Kamloops back to Winnipeg was reblocked to maximize efficiency. For example, could be grain moving with sulfur to the North Shore or traffic destined to the South Shore grain terminals. CN's motive power team has worked closely with the bulk planning team to attack priorities, get power to trains, clear the traffic stage, and then work towards resuming full network fluidity. As CN takes delivery of some of its new locomotives, 75 of which were acquired earlier this year, we're routing them directly to the prairies to get power to trains to move traffic west. Once you get more fluidity, you can start to work with customers to prioritize traffic that needs to hit specific vessel windows, and that means close coordination. It's not easy, and everyone wants to move all that pent-up traffic. What are the prospects for the pace of grain movement going forward as we move past the mainline disruptions? Well, at least one grain industry observer has suggested the next couple of months are going to be very light for grain shipments out of Vancouver, and that things would be really, really slow for grain movement until February. Those comments, specifically, were tied back to the implied impact of the washouts. However, what is clear, and what's been clear for quite some time, is that demand for grain movement was slowing down well before the washouts even hit. The volume of grain movement peaked in the last half September, first half October. It's probably counterintuitive to most people, but the fact is that there's been no dramatic uptick for hopper car demand since the washouts were resolved. You have grain moving towards the vessels and sails that got caught up in the disruption, and then the new demand is coming in on top of that. Demand for grain movement also remains well below the capacity of the end-to-end grain supply chain, which means there's a lot of room to be able to play catch-up with. If this had occurred last November, in the wake of record grain production in Western Canada and record demand for grain movement, the story would look very different today. And remember that as a percentage of total available grain supplies, the pace of grain movement is well ahead of average this year. And to be very clear, that is not the same as the supply chain being current against sales and vessels waiting to load and go, just like I mentioned. Between the carry-in stocks on farm in Western Canada, stocks in country elevators and at processing facilities in Western Canada to start the 2021-22 crop year, plus estimated Western Canadian grain production, total available supplies for the 2021-22 crop year are less than 55 million tonnes, compared to 86 million tonnes last crop year, and the three-year average of 84. Now consider that 55 million tons against overall grain movement via car load from Western Canada through the first 18 weeks of the crop year at 15.5 million tons. Then add on the volume of grain that never sees a rail car to begin with. 
Grain moved cross-border by truck. Grain moved direct from Western Canada by container. Grain kept for seed next spring and fed domestically. That doesn't leave a lot of grain left to move over the last 34 weeks of the crop year, and of course that has everything to do with this year's exceptional and unfortunate drought conditions. The numbers suggest that overall demand for grain movement is very likely going to continue to decline as we head into the new year, and January forward is likely going to get very quiet on the grain movement front. We expect that demand for grain movement is going to remain far below maximum end-to-end sustainable grain supply chain capacity levels on CN as well. That's what the numbers suggest, but nobody can predict the future. Railroading is an outdoor sport, and we are smack dab in the middle of winter now. It likes to rain a lot on the West Coast, snow a lot in the mountains, and we'll see what kind of weather we have in the prairies. Thanks for your time, David. And thanks for listening to Grain Insight, an update from CN.